Welcome to the Grace for This City podcast. We're helping you turn your cities upside down. Hey, I'm your host, Justin Goff. Stay tuned. We got a great show for you today. Good morning, everybody. This is Justin, and you are listening to the Grace for the City podcast. We're helping you turn cities upside down. How are we doing that? We are giving you scriptural motivation and strategies, friends, that will help you get out there and get some stuff done for Jesus. And I'm telling you, he has got some exciting things for you. Where are we at? We are in the end of August, about to be the 1st of September when we're recording this. And uh, you still have four months, three, four months left at the end of this year. Come on to get out there and get some amazing things done for Jesus. Go rack up those testimonies of the power of God being displayed in people's lives, friends. Hallelujah. And then send us an email, hello at gracecitychurch.tv. We want to celebrate with you with what God is doing in and through your life. All right, let's jump into the podcast today. And uh, I've got something that I want to talk about. And if you got your Bibles, digital Bibles, handheld Bibles, printed Bibles, whichever, turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3. Let's look at something here. We're kind of following up after, oh, I think we've done four episodes on the blessed hope. I want to dive into a particular thought. I think I alluded to it in uh, one of the last two episodes, but we're going to kind of pinpoint something here. And uh, here's what it says, 2 Thessalonians 2, 3. Actually, before I read that, let me say this, that you got to understand something here. You and I, we have what is kind of known as the canons. We have the Bible as we have it, all right? We've got the Old Testament and the New Testament and all the books that make up what we know as the Bible. We have to understand when Paul, in particular, who wrote the letters to the ecclesia, the ecclesia, that's the born-again believer. When Paul was commissioned to be the apostle to the Gentiles, he would go somewhere and he would stay. I don't know how long he would stay. He would stay for a while. We're not talking about just going in uh, for one hour, you know, as like a guest minister, as what you and I are accustomed to today. You've got somebody coming in. I'm not talking about the pastor, okay, but some somebody's coming in and they're delivering a word of the Lord, some insight, some additional nuggets, some deep dive into some topics or whatever, you know, and they're there for one hour, you know. I pastor a church. We've got one hour on a Sunday uh, in our second service. Then we have one hour, maybe 45 minutes in our first service, which is usually more of a prayer service, but there's some ministry of the word that happens there. But uh, we're, we're talking about one hour on the weekend uh, for people to get the word. Uh, of course, then we have Bible studies you know, on Wednesday and other gathering times for prayer and whatnot. But most people are getting about one hour, if that, of concentrated time in and around an anointed delivery of the word, an anointed preaching or teaching. Friends, that's just, that's not a lot, okay? And if all you're eating is just on Sundays, you're probably emaciated uh, in a lot of ways spiritually. But when Paul would go to a place, he wasn't there for just one hour, Okay, he wasn't just a little 25-minute trendy, you know, hippie trendy, oh, wow, look how amazing this communicator is. No, he would go somewhere for weeks at a time. In fact, we know of one place in the book of Acts where there was ministry for, 
for hours upon hours upon hours, so much so this little kid fell asleep, he fell out of the window and died. He was raised from the dead. Whoa, are you kidding me? Yeah, like the the culture, the 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 difference in the uh, it's not just culture, although that has a lot to do with it because the drift, the downward drift, hearts growing cold of the culture that you and I experience today. So I I, I don't really want to use the word culture as a legitimate way of explaining this, but the hunger level, the hunger and thirst has diminished in our day, friends. But uh, the point that I want to make is. Paul would go into a place and he would be there for days. You and I are skipping through the letters. Okay, we're skipping through, you know, first and second Thessalonians. Some people may minister one or two verses. Hardly ever do you get anybody that really deep dives, uh, you know, in, in like, a, like an entire book in context. You know, people are pulling thoughts here and there, which is fine. But I'm just saying, Paul didn't go in and teach for 25 minutes. He went in for days and hours at a time he would go in ministering to people the whole council the full gospel okay you and i we're jumping around you know a little bit from first corinthians maybe a little bit from james maybe a little bit from matthew you know a lot of modern sermons you know they'll have three points okay and one or two scriptures to substantiate each point maybe you got six eight maybe ten verses one time, this lady told me one time, she said, I quit taking notes during your sermons. I said, well, why? She said, because you had so much Bible. I just couldn't keep up. <laughs> Hallelujah. Well, you got to listen to it more than once. What is that? Most people are used to a little diet, about 15 to 20 minutes, one or two verses, and they're like, hey, I'm full. Okay. In that perspective, you and I don't sometimes get the whole counsel. We don't understand that when Paul came in, and for example, we're going to dive into some of his eschatology here. These people heard the whole thing you and I are having to find bits and pieces of in Thessalonians, Corinthians, uh, Ephesians, Romans. You understand what I'm saying? So what I've discovered is a lot of people have so many holes and pockets in the whole council on eschatology. They don't realize that when Paul came and delivered to them the gospel of salvation in Jesus Christ, or as you and I know, the gospel of grace, the dispensation message of the gospel of salvation in Jesus Christ, the invitation to be the bride, the body, come on, the ecclesia of the church. Um, he gave them the whole thing. He gave them that message plus eschatology, plus the judgments, plus the fact that we were saved or delivered. That's what the gospel of grace is, partly, was deliverance from the wrath to come. Some people don't even realize that the church is not appointed to wrath. They've been in church the whole life and have never heard the whole council, including eschatology or the judgments or the day of the Lord. They don't know anything about that, myself included. I'm okay, I'm adding myself into that category because one hour a week, uh, you know, you're you're talking about other topics, which is fine, and they zero in on that. But eventually, friends, we've got to get the whole council. Or our hope is going to be um, not as solid as it could be. In fact, the Bible says we were saved in this hope. In the hope of what? Of the resurrection at his appearing. Some people don't even know what that phraseology is. All right, so again, we're going to jump into, because we don't have time in the 30-minute podcast, we're going to jump in here and we're going to dissect this. But these are parts and pieces that some people have not put together 
because they're in various letters. Okay, again, to just repeat myself, when Paul came and spent three weeks, it was one discourse. You and I have to find it in parts and pieces in the letters because even though he preached the same message that was in Corinthians and Thessalonians to them in person, you and I find it in two different letters. Okay, does that make sense? Yes. Okay. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3. Watch this. Let no one deceive you by any means. For that day, the day of the Lord, the day of judgment, or we could say his second coming, Jesus' second coming. This is when the visible kingdom will be established and the nations are judged, and then they're invited into a 1,000, literal 1,000-year millennial reign of Christ on the earth. Watch this, though. He says, let no one deceive you by any means. For that day, okay, the day of judgment, uh, the day of the Lord, it's also translated uh, in one spot, the day of Christ, although it's referring to the day of the Lord. Okay, this is his second coming. Notice what he says. It will not come. That day will not come before the falling away. We're going to look at that today. That's the um, it's it, it, it's translated in the English apostasy, okay? But it's from the Greek word uh, apostasia, apostasia. We're going to look at that. But he says, let no one deceive you, for Jesus' second coming will not come before the apostasia comes first, the new King James, and the man of sin, you and I know as the Antichrist, is revealed. All right, so there's two things two things that have to happen before Jesus comes the second time. Now, again, if you don't know the context here, Paul spent quite a bit of time because these people had received traveling ministers, okay, false apostles, false prophets, false teachers. Okay, several things happened. They had traveling ministers come in and said that they had special revelation concerning the end times. Then they had some of their own people that had, quote, unquote, uh, words of knowledge or words of wisdom or prophetic unction, okay? And then they had letters that were forged letters, supposedly written by Paul. They found out that they were not written by Paul. They were forged. They were faked letters uh, in Paul's name. And all three of these events, a combination of these events, began to contradict the original message Paul brought to them when he came to them and delivered to them the gospel, the whole counsel, okay, that which you and I find uh, in completion but in parts and pieces in the letters. He delivered the whole thing to them, starting with uh, the salvation uh, by grace through faith, okay, talking about, you know, he talked to them about Ephesians. He talked to them about Corinthians. He talked to them about Romans. Come on. He talked to them about all these things, okay. Uh, he shared things with them. I'm sure that he shared with Timothy, et cetera, depending on where in the timeline. He delivered to them, to them the whole counsel is the point that I'm trying to make, okay? Now, between the time that Paul came and talked to them about the rapture of the church, about the day of the Lord, about the judgment of the nations, and about the millennial kingdom, the visible kingdom, okay? I'm not talking about the invisible one, the one within right now, okay? Remember when uh, Jesus said, heal the sick, uh, open the eyes of the blind, hear, uh, heal the lepers, raise the dead. He said, tell them the kingdom has come near. Well, what kingdom is he talking about? The one that was established in your hearts. Now, at his second coming will be the kingdom established visibly, 
even those that don't believe are going to see it and experience it in a tangible way. Okay. So Paul already delivered to them all this, all that. Uh, And between that time and the time he's writing these letters is when they've had these other events take place. They've had some jokers come in with false gospel. Okay, that would be a true definition of the false gospel. Anything (laughs) that contradicts, in particularly, the revelation that Paul received via Jesus Christ himself. Remember, he talks about that in the book of Galatians. He said, no man taught him this. Jesus Christ himself told him these, these things about the rapture of the church, about the coming judgments, about the coming kingdom. Anybody who contradicted Paul in these matters, remember he said in, in another letter, let him be accursed. Let him be anathema. If an angel even comes and tells you something different than what I told you when I first came, let him be accursed. Of course, that would include in any other apostle or prophet or teacher or clergy or anybody who claims to be this or that. It doesn't matter. If it contradicts the gospel that was once delivered. Remember, Jude said that. There was something once delivered. Anything that contradicts that is false, friends. You and I are sorting through, I mean, just tons, gobs, countless hours, thousands of hours of false teachings we're having to navigate in our day because anybody comes in for 25 minutes, they think they got a special revelation. These people are going, oh, this is amazing, amazing, amazing. Well, it's not amazing if it contradicts the word. So they had traveling ministers come in. Okay. Nothing wrong with traveling ministers unless, come on, they contradict the Bible. Okay. There's a lot of those jokers around these days. Hallelujah. Teaching all kinds of crazy stuff. You can't even find it in the Bible. All right. They had that happen. Then they had their own people. Somebody said, oh, I had a dream last night, or I had the word of the Lord that we are literally in the day of judgment. That's what he said right now um, that uh, in verse 2 there. He said, uh, don't be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as if the day of Christ had come. The day of the Lord's already here, and the Antichrist has already been revealed. He said, no, don't listen to these jokers that are saying this. So they had traveling guys saying it. They had some of their own people who said, oh, I think I got a prophetic word here. I think the Holy Spirit revealed to me that the Antichrist is so-and-so, okay? Um, and then they had uh, letters supposedly written by Paul. So here he is actually writing this letter to them. And he's saying, remember what I told you when I was with you last. And uh, remember that was in verse 5. He said, do you not remember that when I was with you still? that I told you these things. So he's, he's encouraging them to remember the gospel. Remember the, uh, the, um, what's the word, the sequence of events. So he is going to remind them of a couple things that must take place before the second coming of Jesus Christ or the day of the Lord. Okay. One of those things, which we're going to zero in today is what the new King James translates as falling away. Right before I dive into that, he also says that the Antichrist must be revealed uh, before that day. Okay, so um, let's jump into apostasia. So he says, let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come before the apostasia comes first. What is this word translated in the King James as apostasia? Well, some Bibles translate it as rebellion. Uh, The 
New King James translates it as falling away. Uh, still other Bibles actually translate it as what you and I know in English as apostasy. Um, but there is significant reason to believe that this word apostasia can actually be translated departure. And that's my personal position on this. That's my personal belief after much study is that the actual meaning of this word is not rebellion as you and I understand it, or it's not a falling away as what most people would understand that phrase to be if they were reading the New King James or other Bibles that use it. And it's not apostasy, generically apostasy, as you and I would recognize it, like a defection from the faith, say. Now, the Greek noun, apostasia, is only used two times in the New Testament. Uh, in addition here to 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, it is used in Acts 21, 21. All right, so it's used one time right here. And the only other time that this noun is used, again, is in Acts 21, 21, where speaking of Paul, it is said that, quote, you are teaching all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to apostasy of Moses, translated forsake. I believe that's what the New King James says. Let me look real quick. I, I didn't confirm the New King James. 2121, it says forsake. All right, so the New King James translates it forsake. Two times this word is used. Now, uh, the Greek word is a compound, uh, which means uh, the first one, apos, from, and estimi, stand. Thus, it has the core meaning of away from or departure. The Liddell and Scott Greek lexicon, for example, defines apostasia first as like a defection or a revolt, and then secondly, as a departure or a disappearance. That's how they define that word. Firstly, it can be defined as a defection, uh, but secondly, it is appropriately defined as departure. Now, since the noun form is used only twice in the whole New Testament. Some controversy over its exact meaning has occurred over the years, and I think you can understand why. <laughs> because entire doctrines have been developed that uh, Christians, uh, n n number one, doctrines that there is no such thing as a rapture, uh, rapture. Some people are really hardcore uh, about that, and there's some wildly popular uh, post-millennial eschatology being uh, promoted these days that totally uh, reject a rapture theology, totally reject, uh, well, I mean, I've covered this in so much detail. It's not even worth talking about because they're so way off, okay? I mean, they do not even read the Bible literally at all. They are what we call allegorical or they spiritualize just everything. By the way, they're replacement theologians as well. That's why I personally draw the line. And I say that in a very professional way. Uh, it's not personal. It's just business. But anybody who is promoting theology based upon 
uh, replacement theology that God is completely and utterly done with the Jews, in my opinion, has totally misread uh, the Bible in so many ways. They totally disregard uh, uh, the vast majority of the Old Testament prophetic passages concerning the reconciliation and restoration of Israel. In fact, they claim to be Israel themselves. We vehemently disagree with that. Um, several uh, people, I've seen a little bit of a resurgence maybe in some teaching that's trying to counter that because there's so much popular teaching right now based on replacement theology. But listen, friends, it is the doctrine of devils. It is a devilish eschatology. Uh, you need to do your due diligence um, before you would embrace uh, those types of teachings, okay? Um, in my understanding, the only way you can get into a post-millennial or that we're in the kingdom of God right now, the only way you can get into that is based upon God being done with the Jews and there is no restoration program for Israel. All right, but I've done some podcasts on that. That's not the point today. But uh, there is quite a bit of controversy on this and I don't want to ignore that fact. But I think if you'll do a deep dive into this, you'll see why the controversy is there. But there is plenty of information, friends. I believe personally, Justin believes that it is adamantly clear that this phrasing does not mean a defection from faith or the traditional definition of apostasy as you and I would know it, but it actually is referring to a departure, a departure of the church must take place. Now, let's keep keep going here, and I, th- I think you'll see it by the time we're done, but you need to also do your own homework, friends. All right, so the nouns used only twice. So this is why there's some controversy, but the verb the verb form of this word is used 15 times in the New Testament. And uh, for example, in the King James Version of the Bible, the verb is actually depart, uh, translated depart or departed in 11 of those instances. Of these 15, only three have anything to do with the departure from the faith or what you and I might know as a defection of a faith. Uh, of a faith or the faith, any faith. Uh, those are in uh, Luke 8, uh, 8, 13, 1 Timothy 4, 1, and Hebrews 3, 12. The word is used for departing from iniquity, 2 Timothy 2, 19, from ungodly men, departing from ungodly men in 1 Timothy 6, 5, uh, departing from the temple in Luke 2, 27, departing from a particular uh, body or the body in 2 Corinthians 12, 8, and departing from other persons in Acts 12.10 and Luke 4.13. The point is easily seen, in my opinion, that the root meaning of the word most often used means a physical departure, and only a few times does it indicate a religious departure or a defection. So the word itself has the core meaning of departure, and it depends upon the context to determine whether it is used to mean a physical departure or like an abstract departure, such as departure from the faith. Hallelujah, friends. Oh, man, I'm telling you, this is amazing. All right, let's keep digging. If apostasia is properly translated departure, then it becomes immediately clear that Paul is referring to the rapture or the departure of the church, placing it definitively before the tribulation period. Let's read that verse again, let no one deceive you by any means for that day, the day of the Lord 
will not come unless the departure comes first. Well, what what departure? He's using a definite article, the departure. So we have to understand by context what departure he's referring to. Have you read, friends, 1 Thessalonians? Have you read, friends, 2 Thessalonians? Are you aware that these two letters are Paul's uh, eschatological letters? He references the end things in these letters quite extensively, and even in other places. 1 Corinthians, he he talks about it. I mean, there's other places in the Bible where Paul is dealing with uh, the blessed hope. Hallelujah, friends. Oh, it's absolutely amazing. So what if that word doesn't mean a departure from the faith, like an abstract uh, apostasy? What if it doesn't mean defection? You know, there's been defection since the beginning of time. Even the Holy Spirit was writing to Timothy and talks about things that were going on in Timothy's day during uh, the uh, perilous times, Kalipos times. Friends, it's dangerous times, fierce times. People are defecting. He was even writing to Timothy literally in his day because people were defecting from the church because they had crazy leadership going on. Listen, there's defection all the time. I can name names right now of people who have defected. Uh, just in the last several months. Hallelujah. People, uh, sometimes people pull away from the faith for various reasons. Uh, It would seem quite odd, though, that Paul would write to them and say, hey, steady yourself, comfort yourself, get a hold hold, hold of yourself, be at peace. In fact, in another place, Corinthians, same concept of teaching. He's saying comfort one another with these words. Is it comforting? Uh, to think that before the Antichrist is revealed and he slaughters a bunch of people, that there's going to be a mass defection from the church. Listen, that's not the context, friends. It is not falling away or apostasy or defection. It is a departure. One group leaving another group. Listen to this. So if it's properly translated departure, which is what I believe, then it becomes immediately clear Paul is talking about the departure of the church or the rapture, the harpazo of the church. That must take place before Jesus returns uh, because if you look at Zechariah's prophecy that when Jesus comes back the second time, guess what? Guess who's with him? The saints, the New Testament saints are with him. Hallelujah, somebody. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Um, so the departure must take place before he's saying that the man of lawlessness can even be revealed. That's verses 7 and 8. We'll look at that in a second. Now, Greek scholar Daniel Davies said this, it is with full assurance of proper exegetical study and with complete confidence in the original languages that the word, uh, that the meaning of apostasia is defined as departure. Scholar and author Paul E. Tan says, what precisely does Paul mean when he says that the, quote, falling away must come before the tribulation? The definite article, the, denotes that this will be a definite event, an event distinct from the appearance of the man of sin. The Greek word for, quote, falling away, as New King James uh, translates it, taken by itself, does not mean religious apostasy or defection. Neither does the word mean to fall as the Greeks have another word for that. It's pipto. That means to fall or to fail. The best translation of the word is to depart. 
The Apostle Paul refers here to a definite event, which he calls the departure, and which will occur just before the start of the tribulation. And then we have another strong argument just from translation history. In the last few minutes of the podcast here, listen to this, friends. Just translation history itself makes a pretty compelling argument. The first seven English translations of the Bible all define apostasia as either departure or departing. They are as follows. The Wycliffe Bible, 1384, defines it as such. The Tyndale Bible, 1526, is when it was translated. It defines it as that. The Coverdale Bible, 1535. The Cranmer Bible, 1539. The Breaches Bible, 1576. The Beza Bible, 1583. And then the Geneva Bible has several versions. They have a 15, I believe it's 1560. I didn't write that down. There's like a, there's a 1560, I think. Uh, Then there's a 1599. And then there's a 1608 version. Guess what? All of them define it or translate it as departure. This supports the notion that the word truly does mean departure and not abstract like defection, but literally refers to a definite event that's going to take place, must take place, has to take place before even the man of sin can even be revealed and before the day of the Lord can happen. Remember, Paul was writing to them and he was saying, don't be shaken in mind or troubled because you've had these traveling jokers come in and say something different than what I told you when I was there. Then they had their own quote unquote, Holy Spirit revealed something to them oh, I think we're in the day of judgment. Somebody thought they had a prophetic word about or a dream. Paul's saying that's not the Holy Spirit. And then lastly, they had at least one letter written to them. Somebody forged it, signed it as Paul, saying that these things were already taking place, that the man of sin had already been revealed. He said, no, 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 no. Let let me remind you of what I told you when I was there. Let me tell you about what I told you, how to comfort one another about the resurrection of the saints about his appearing in our gathering to him. Remember, he starts out the letter. He says in verse 1, 2 Thessalonians 2, 1, now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord, event number one, and our gathering together to him. He's talking about two separate events. There's the coming of the Lord Jesus, his second coming, his parousia. Okay, there's several parousias, but this is the main one, the main, the main event. Then our gathering together unto him. How are you going to be gathered? How are you going to be gathered together unto him? That's the departure that he's referring to. Now, uh, Jerome's Latin translation, known as the Vulgate, from around AD 400, renders apostasia as the word decessio. And I don't know if I'm saying that in Latin. Uh, appropriately or not, but let me tell you what it means. It means departure. The King James version of the Bible, remember his, quote, authorized version was what year? Well, it was the year 1611. King Jimmy, and bless him, Lord, King Jimmy was the first English translation of the Bible to depart from, (laughs) play on words there, did you catch that? I didn't mean to do that, but... King James was the first one to defect from translating 
apostasia as departure. He was the first one to translate it, falling away. And then, of course, several English Bibles after that followed suit. But that's, that's pretty important. So you had seven. You had Wycliffe, Tyndale, Coverdale, Cranmer, Breaches, Beza, and the Geneva Bible. Geneva had three versions. Okay, so you can add two extra ones to that. There's nine translations. The first nine translations of the Bible into English all translated apostasia as departure or uh, to depart or departing. And then you had King James, the first one to say, no, I don't want to translate it like that. I want to translate it as falling away. Then other Bibles translated it as rebellion. Now, it can't have that meaning. But context then would bring definition to, is it a abstract departure or is it a literal physical departure? Let me read to you uh, uh, a note by uh, extremely popular and noted Greek scholar and comment. Uh, commentator Kenneth Wiest. Uh, you should get his Bible. He did some phenomenal work. But uh, let me read how he actually translated it in his Bible. It says, Do not begin to allow anyone to lead you astray in any way, because that day shall not come except the aforementioned departure of the church to heaven comes first, and the man of lawlessness is disclosed in his true identity, the man of perdition. Well, friends, I'm going to have to leave us on a cliffhanger right there because we are just flat out of time today. But listen, I think I've given you some things to think about. We'll pick this up in another podcast because there's some more things that I want to show you here. But wow, do you see the game changer that this makes when we properly translate some of these Greek words? Wow, wow, wow. Well, that has really encouraged me, friends. Listen, don't let anybody deceive you. The man of lawlessness, the son of perdition, the Antichrist cannot be revealed while the restrainer is still here, friends. That cannot happen yet. So comfort yourselves. Comfort yourselves. Remember, that's what he said. Don't be soon shaken or troubled because you're not going to be here. Hallelujah. There's got to be a departure first. We'll get into that in the next podcast, but the restrainer's got to be removed before he can even be revealed. Don't be troubled, friends. He's not revealed yet. And guess what? You are not living in the days of judgment because there hasn't been a departure yet. There must be a departure. All right. If we can pray with you, it would be our honor to do so. Listen, we take take that seriously. If you need somebody to join with you in prayer, believing with you, God will do mighty things in your life. You can reach out to us. Call us at 870-741-9099. Leave a message. One of our prayer people will get back with you. Or you can write an email. Send it to hello at gracecitychurch.tv. That's hello at gracecitychurch.tv. Friends, I've enjoyed this podcast today. This has been the Grace for This City podcast. And until next time, be blessed.